Hello. Well, I am in Irvine, California today, and I am joined by Kenny. Yep. Thanks for having me on. Welcome. So maybe just want to introduce yourself first and where you work, and we'll get into the details a bit more. Sure. Uh, my name is Kenny Kimura, and I am the Director of Product Development at Win Systems. Very nice. So I've, I've heard about Win Systems a lot. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I used to work at one of their sister companies, and a lot of big companies in, in the United States use Win Systems as well. So I, I'm pretty interested to to dive into the history of Win Systems yeah, uh, at, at one point. But maybe before we get into that and talking about the product and whatnot, maybe just more about yourself on sort of how you got initially involved in the equipment rental industry? Yeah, uh, so prior to Win Systems, I was an accountant, uh, specifically in the legal and real estate industry. So Win was my introduction into equipment rental. Um, we were we were joking earlier about, you know, people are either born into equipment rental or they just suddenly find themselves yeah. in there. And I was uh, definitely one of the latter. Um, they hired me on initially because of my accounting background. Um, Win Systems, or sorry, Rental Man, is a really large, uh, robust application, right? So you have to know uh, the front end and the back end, front office, back office. Um, So when I came in uh, initially as a level one customer service rep, um, I will say that was the hardest job I've ever had, right? Because the big system and you don't know what directions the questions are coming from, right? So I might answer a question related to the general ledger, on one call, then two minutes later, have a question about uh, rental operations. Mm. Uh, so you had to get very good at finding answers very fast. And it's also, it's not just like the system, because the system is just like what the user is inputting or outputting from, from the actual uh, software. It's also the operations of the business on, on why someone's doing something in a branch. Exactly. And, and coming in from not a rental background, not really understanding what the users um, are doing at that point in my, my career, it was difficult to marry up this function in the system with this physical task, right, that the users are trying to, uh, to complete. Mm. So how did, you, how did you combat that then? Um, well, there was a lot of scrambling in the, the first month or so, and then um, one of the senior CSRs took me out to a rental yard for the first time, um, and it really was something to see uh, what our users are actually doing and what part, you know, what part is a physical activity you know, out in the yard or at the counter, uh, and then what comes back into the system that, mm. that really started to put it together for me. Yeah, and I think if you build relationships with any any business that you're dealing with and like you build that trust, like people will take the time to try and explain things to you as well. Like they know that someone's not going to know everything. And yeah. so it's putting that effort in to build those relationships with customers, like visiting them and stuff like that. Absolutely. It, it goes a long way uh, to build goodwill, to understand that they are, tr- you know, you're learning where you're trying to understand what they do so that you can help them better. Mm. So you started off in a, in a support role, uh, assisting customers, answering their questions. Yep. And then where did that lead to? Um, so I was there for a few years. So if you, you know, if you, if you use Rental Man, you called in uh, about 10, 15 years ago, I was probably picking up the phone and talking to you. Uh, after that, I moved into technical writing. So a lot of the uh, documentations around, um, around Rental Man, our different processes, our different applications, uh, you know, good chance you've probably read some of my stuff. Uh, so maybe just for the listeners, just to dive into a little bit, like when you say technical writer, what does that actually mean? 
Yep. So rental man is a big system, like I like I mentioned before. I mean, when you have a big system like that, you you want to make sure that you provide your users uh, with the documentation to support them, right? So if they're uh, trying to use the application, you can give them directions on how you use it and when you use it, mm -hmm. uh, as well as how you configure, you set it up to do different things. Yeah, and then obviously coming from that support background and then doing that, that would have gave you like a wealth of knowledge of how the system's actually configured and works, yeah? It did, yeah, and and through those two positions, I, I became a bit of a subject matter expert um, on most of our applications, and that really set me up for the rest of my career. Mm. So you did that for a while, and then where did you jump into? From there, I actually moved to the sales team as a sales engineer. So my job was to accompany, uh, accompany sales reps during their, during their sales calls um, and, and just be the subject matter expert in the room, right? Mm. Uh, make sure they didn't oversell or undersell the product, uh, be able to communicate to the customer exactly what it does um, and why that's helpful. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a position that I, I really like. Like I actually used to be, I used to call it a pre-sales mm -hmm. uh, yeah. in my previous role, but I, um, I often used to tell customers what the system can't do quite a lot. Like they would say, can I do this? And it'll be like, this is all what we can do, but no, we can't actually do this. Now there's ways to fix that. We can, we can build it, there's alternative routes. Because if you send a salesperson in, they just start saying yes, 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 yes. It gets thrown over the fence to the implementation team and then there's friction. Right. Sales said you can do this. Why can't it? This is what I was overpromised. All those things that I'm sure you've you've seen before when you've got a sales person that just wants to get the signature yep. rather than actually building the relationship up. So, so that sales engineer role, um, like when people want to move into sales, I think it's very intimidating. Like how was that mindset moving into that, that role? It was... You know, it was an adjustment, right? For sure. I had not been, um, I had not been involved in sales calls prior to that. Uh, so a bit of it was building a relationship with the sales rep to, you know, make sure that they had a good expectation of what I brought to the table uh, on Wynn's behalf. But then it's also making sure that we set the right expectation with the customer, right? Mm. We don't want to oversell the product, um, you know, because what that'll lead to is a really difficult implementation. Right? Yeah. That's not really good for our customer or for us. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I, I feel like, as I said, like you can be the bad guy in the room that's, that's giving the brutally honest feedback. Yep. Um, and you have to have the balance with the person that's closing the deal, basically. But you, I, I've seen it before. If you don't have that person in the room, like it creates a lot of problems uh, later on. And then the trust can be broken down at certain points. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then doing that. So obviously just walking through support, and then technical writing and then actually demoing and configuring and working with customers like your knowledge is just obviously increasing dramatically like i remember when i was in that pre-sales role like i learned so much more than any right, anywhere you have to. <laughs> yeah because you actually understand because you need to explain to someone how it's going to work in their business uh and and what are the benefits going to be and, and what are the challenges and how you what are the quick you know, thinking on your feet as well about right. How would I do this? And then being able to try and figure it out as well. Yeah. So then doing that, then what was your, your next role? Um, so from there, even while I was in that sales engineer role, um, I was put in contact and, and working with pretty closely uh, a product manager, actually I think a product director at the time, um, to go out and start building new products. And, and a part of that was just my domain expertise with the system, understanding what Rental Man could and couldn't do, uh, what pieces were there to build out an application. Um, and then that was the experience that really led me to, to jump over to product management. Mm. So 
So maybe we'll get into the product side in a sec. Uh, but what I'm keen on doing is, is, is talking about the history of Win and, sure. and where it's served in the market. It's, it's one of the longstanding providers in the equipment rental industry and is, is used by quite a number of, of major customers in the US market, one of which is United Rentals. Yep. Uh, so, so maybe just to start off with like, how did, do you know how Wynn started and what was the, the beginnings of the early days? Yeah, so uh, Wynn was started in 1991 uh, by a man named Terry Wynn, um, who set out to create a, a bespoke system for the equipment rental industry, right? There were a lot of different systems that were being used. None of them were specific to equipment rental. Um, in fact, a lot of our early customers were running on like Excel, right, when they, when they came to us. Um, it started pretty small. Um, I wasn't there for it, but uh, the stories are always, uh, you know, the, our first few architects uh, working out of Terry Wynn's living room and garage. So very humble beginnings, uh, but, you know, we've certainly grown from there. And so over the, the past uh, 20 years or so then, like how, like the, the, the business started in 1991, like, and obviously is, is a massive company now, like how has it evolved from that point? Was it starting with small user, small amounts of users and then growing? Because getting someone like United Rentals or Sunbelt is a, is a massive, massive undertaking for change management. Like how, how did you sort of build up to becoming one of the, the major players in the US? Yeah, well, it started small, um, but like I said, there weren't a lot of players sort of specifically in the rental equipment software industry. Uh, so we, we grew very quickly, um, and then in 2000, we were uh, bought by United Rentals. Um, so actually, when I came on board, I was technically a United Rentals employee, um, which was a little weird, right? Because uh, we're a software company owned by a mm. rental company. So I remember, you know, sitting at my desk and um, being asked to take online safety courses for warehouse management and forklift <laughs> safety, um, which didn't super seem to fit with uh, my job description. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. So, all right. So I did hear this story. So, so, so United Rentals bought uh, Wind Systems, mm -hmm. and then eventually did it split off again. Or? We did. Yeah. So obviously there there is a bit of a conflict of interest there, mm. right? Um, it makes customers a little bit nervous to know that uh, the software that they're they're purchasing is owned by probably their largest competitor. And maybe they're concerned about their data and whatnot, yeah. Right, and that, that um, you know, there was never any danger. They were very, very diligent about making sure that data was secure, but it was always a conversation that we had to have. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you sort of couple that with our R&D was tied to United Rentals, which means that we were building things to solve United Rentals problems and not necessarily um, the challenges that everyone else is facing. Right, so innovation uh, was really kind of pointed in one direction, um, and then even from a, even for United Rentals, it's it's expensive and awkward to run a software company when you are a rental company. Yeah, right. And so I think that that um, all of that kind of led to the decision uh, to to divest us to Constellation Software in 2012. Okay, interesting. And then. I guess when like talking about that point when you when you've got a system that's being uh, developed by in the largest rental company in the world, that's not going to suit like a, a mum and pop operation where they're just trying to to run a single store. Exactly, they have different challenges. Yeah, and and so then, but when uh, a rental man has been split into multiple products now as well. I know like Intempo, 
true. Yep. Is is there? So was was that a directive to try and solve the the smaller end of town? It was right because um, even you know even after uh, we moved to Constellation Software, we still had a really like kind of wildly diverse customer base. Right on the the higher end, we had the Sunbelts and the Hercs and the you know the major major players uh, in that market. But we were also servicing mom and pop shops. And again, they, they just have different challenges, mm. right? And so in 2015, we split uh, into Win Systems and Intempo. Uh, and Intempo offers you know, kind of a very specific SaaS model of uh, the rental man software, uh, whereas Win Systems was then free to focus on sort of enterprise level companies. Uh, okay, well, just on your customers then. So in terms of the Win Systems uh, rental software, like what are the, the types of companies or which companies are utilizing your software? Yep, uh, the major players in, in, you know, really around the world. Uh, so companies like United Rentals, Sunbelt, Ahern, uh, Herc, um, we've got eight of the top 10 uh, of the RER 100 and, and roughly about a third uh, of the RER 100 uses our software. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty impressive uh, stat to throw out there. And so, so having so many of those major players, uh, in particular in the US, utilizing uh, Win Systems or Rental Man, like why, why, why do you think they use that, your software? Yeah, because uh, Rental Man really helps them scale, right? It, it's a full service ERP. Um, so we manage not just the rental operations, but uh, equipment maintenance, finance, uh, logistics, all of those different pieces, you know, reporting back to the same, uh, the same database, the same source of knowledge mm. uh, is really important in helping organizations that size manage uh, that many branches. And I think that's a really good point. Like one of the, the biggest challenges I've seen in businesses is when they have third party financials at, at a large organization. I think for smaller organizations, it, it's quite good because they can external accountants and all that sort of stuff. But when you've got like a, a 50 branch operation and you're trying to run external financials and you're trying to sync the two systems up, it can be quite challenging. Um, and so that must be a massive selling point for wind systems to have the integrated accounting as part of the solution, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. It is uh, having, you know, what happens at the front counter uh, and, you know, out at the job site inform, right, what's happening in the back office um, is a big, it's a big efficiency play for them. Mm. Now, I do want to talk about the wind product and we'll get into the, the roadmap on where, where the company is sure. going. But uh, I guess from an external perspective, like I've seen wind systems at some point and I've seen the green screen and whatnot and, <laughs> yep. and whatnot. And I feel like I want to address like where the company is going and I want to make sure that uh, people understand that it's not like a, like a dying product or, or a product that's like stagnant. Do you understand? Like right. it, it's, a, it's an innovative company that is continually to reinvest into, to take the product to the next level. So maybe just want to talk about like if someone was to ask you like if you're in a sales room and you're a sales engineer and like right. why would I want to use your software it's a green screen like what what would you say to that person I would say that they're very unlikely to see the green screen so when people talk about green screen you're really just talking about uh, the core and in that core uh, is built literal decades of business intelligence business logic uh, which is almost impossible to replicate but that doesn't mean that's where the end user is going to be living, right? We have applications built uh, in HTML and Angular, um, providing very modern, very, um, very user-friendly and up-to-date user interfaces, right? That will still rely on that core to provide that business intelligence, provide that business logic, mm. uh, and serve it up to the end user. 
So it's basically being able to enable your mobile workforce or your your uh, front counter workforce as, as 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 they need, and having a modern technology stack there, and then being able to empower the back office. Is that what you're basically saying? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And so so when did that journey start? Um, I would say that that really started about eight or nine years ago. Um, you know, we realized that uh, a lot of the work happens away from the counter, right? You can't expect somebody to sit at a desk all day. Even the people who are counter users, right? Counter personnel are getting up and they're walking around the store with the customer, walking around the yard with the customer, uh, doing a consultative type of uh, service, mm. right? So they need something that follows them out into the yard, right? So that we can kind of marry up the, the, the physical task that they're doing out wherever they are, as well as a sort of electronic logging of that task. Yeah, I always use the analogy of like Apple. Like when you walk into an Apple store to buy something, like mm -hmm. you very rarely stand behind a desk. Like they sort of follow you around with their device yep. and they do everything. Like when someone walks into a, a rental store and they want to rent something, like you should walk with them and scan the asset and check out the asset or do an inspection or or take it or do a quote from that, whatever it is. But being able to do that on a phone or tablet is like a massive play. And it's, it's a it's a big mindset as well, because what what I found when I was working with some of these rental companies is that those staff members use the counter as like a protective barrier. Right. right. They, they feel like they're yeah. on the other side. Of, the customer can't see what they're doing. And so mm -hmm. when they've got a phone in their hand, they feel like the customer's watching them. Yeah. When the screen's turned, it's like they're just typing away and, and they can sort of feel safe. And so it's also a, a change in the, the, I guess the culture within that, that branch or branches right. as well. Well, it's a, it's a competitive advantage as well, right? I mean, a lot of our customers rent the same stuff. So the difference maker there is the, is the, the level of service they can provide, right? And then what that model provides their customer and the experience mm. that that provides the customer. So, so you were touching on like in, enabling a device to follow the people around where they're going, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, so just dive into that, like what are some of the, the mobile products that you've built out then? Yep. Um, so we have uh, a product we call Mobile Link, right? And that's just a, a mobile platform uh, built to work on a phone or a tablet. Um, and it allows, uh, you know, a user, it, it's built for a lot of things, actually. It, it's built for um, checking in and checking out of equipment, right? Uh, it's built for creating orders from your phone uh, in conjunction with one of our customers, Total Safety, um, which operates a very, like, kind of a, a small tools counter type of, of business. Um, and it really creates a very slick, streamlined way of uh, scanning in an order and then creating an order on the fly. Um, so what it's done outside of that, that particular model is it also allows other uh, customers of ours who, who are more general rental to do exactly that, walk around with the customer, scan that piece of equipment in and just create an order right there. Mm. So so basically, and, and this is one of my questions, my follow-up questions is, is one of the important things I think with rental software providers is that the rental software company isn't just building what they think that they need to build. Getting the input from customers is like vital to be able to build like a, a usable product because what you think you need and what the customer's actually going to use is, is two different things. And so you mentioned that you built this uh, mobile app with a customer. And so is that common? Is that Does that typically roll out into the rest of your customers? Is that normally how you work things? Yeah, we have, I mean, we have a couple of models. We, you know, we can build something and make it Bespoke. proprietary yeah. uh, to them. But anything that we build, we try to, to make 
keep the larger um, the larger market in mind uh, so that it's applicable to other models as well. Um, it is very common for us to build features and functions in conjunction with our customers. Uh, we have a really good close relationship with most of them. We spend a lot of time observing their operations um, or even just doing consulting work with them, right? They'll ask us questions, give us, you know, problems, challenges that they're facing, right? Which usually has to do around uh, driving behavior of their users. Mm. And then we see what we can do in terms of uh, building a solution that drives the behavior that they're trying to achieve. Yeah. And then, so what's the response been from users in terms of using mobile apps? Like I was mentioning before that it can be quite intimidating to have a customer watching you do something, uh, but people have been delivering things for forever on, on, on phones and getting you to sign and whatnot. So I, I feel like it's just an evolution of time of people getting comfortable with these apps. Like what, what has been the response that you've seen? Yeah, the response has been good. Uh, MobileLink is probably our highest utilized application. Um, you know, we've got something like 3,000 daily active users. Wow. Um, so it gets used a lot. I, I think uh, at this point, at this point in time, having a mobile application is is kind of a gimme, right? You you have to have one now. Mm. And then what about from a? I guess another area that's quite popular is being able to rent things online. So is that something you've been exploring in terms of having like a portal or, or something along those? It is. Uh, yeah, we built a um, an e-commerce application into our customer portal. Right. Wow, so okay. our customer portal at one time was primarily a reporting application. And, and this is one of our uh, older products. And the idea was, well, if our customers or if our customers, customers, right, can get all of the information on their account or, you know, their, yeah, all, all of the information on their account, then they're not calling into the branch to get information, have them run reports on rental man um, and, and, you know, tie up those counter people's time uh, with things that aren't driving sales. Mm. Yeah, a massive one that I think, I'm not sure if you're doing this, but I, I think it's a massive like boost is being able to allow someone to call off rent online. Yep. Like that, that I think it's a, a game changer in terms of enabling customers. Now, some people might say, hey, we, we don't want to make it too easy for someone to, to, to call off rent the equipment. Um, but I think being able to empower the rental company to see exactly what they've got on rent and uh, and and um, even looking at maybe the utilization hours of the machine as well in conjunction with that, and then being able to make an educated decision on whether they need something or not. I think it, it builds a massive like trust relationship between the rental company and their customers. Is that something like you're exploring? Yes, we um, in our customer portal, we actually built a widget that will show uh, our customer's customer, um, you know, what they have coming off rent in the next seven days. Just seven day view of what's due to come off rent. Now, whatever we build, you know, our customers can decide what their customers see. Um, so it's always kind of funny. You know, they have very differing philosophies as, you know, maybe some of our customers don't want their customers to see what's coming off rent. And, you know, if they, they call it, they call it. And uh, we have other customers who are very proactive. They'll, they'll they even want, you know, a notification to be sent out to say, you know, hey, you've got this coming off rent. And, you know, mm. do you want us to come pick it up? Do you want to hold on to it a little bit longer? Um, and I like that because it gives them a little bit more visibility into their availability and their bandwidth uh, coming up as well. It's not, you know, a surprise. Yeah, I've, I've heard both arguments. I've said that that discussion with some people and they freak out and say, hey, we're going to affect revenue if we tell customers. Don't don't talk to them. But I've heard other people uh, go down the route of like it builds trust. We can actually have a true reflection of our availability. Um, the customer knows them. We're not trying to gouge them, all that sort of stuff. So there's, there's both arguments. And I think it also changes based on the type of equipment that you have 
yeah. as well. It's not just not just across the board. I would sure. say, and, and the current utilization of that equipment, right? Mm, definitely. So then, um, so then, leading to other, like, what other developments have you been working on at Wind Systems? Um, yeah, we've uh, we've been working on we've been working on a service uh, application. We actually came out with it a, a couple of years ago, and it, it's uh, constantly evolving, right? And the way this came about, actually, one of our customers just told us, um, you know, hey, our, our mechanics, we need to keep a really close eye on our mechanics, right? We want them to be productive. But if we, you know, so we give them these quotas that they need to, you know, fix X number of machines every day. But if we aren't careful about what they're working on, what they do is they go pick the easy equipment to fix, right? So that they can knock out a bunch every day, but they're not necessarily fixing the equipment we want them to fix, the equipment we need them to fix. Um, so that, that, that's how that conversation started. And we, you know, we take that idea and we kind of vet it around different customers. Like, is this, this is an interesting idea is you have this problem. Um, and enough of our customers, I think all of our customers said, yeah, that's exactly something that, that we mm. deal with. Um, so we take that sort of decision-making logic, right? When a, a service manager decides what someone's supposed to work on, how do they come to that decision? What are they looking at, right? What is the current order load? What is the current utilization uh, of a particular type of equipment? Um, and what we built was essentially a, a, prioritized, a prioritization engine, okay. right? That puts the equipment that at least based on the rule set and the business logic that we have today, says we think this is the next piece of equipment that needs to be fixed, and then all the way down the line, based on all of those factors. And that's yeah. um, really kind of just on a higher level strategy, something that we're doing uh, at Win in different areas, not just service, right, is to take that business logic of, of the people who have been working in the industry for, you know, 10 plus years and have all that tribal knowledge, um, you know, the people who, like, if, if they're out sick, everybody has a bad day uh, because a lot of those processes yeah. start to break down. Yeah, I could see that that same logic would be really useful in transport and logistics, like knowing <laughs> Uh, what should you pick up next based upon like an off call off rent or, or the delivery or my, my load of my truck or whatever it is I could see having like a what do you call it, route optimization maybe is probably the right word. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. That's something that we're working on right now. So we have a, a logistics application, um, you know, that, that'll give a, an experienced dispatcher all of the information that they need to make good decisions, right? Um, and, and, and show them in a nice graphical way of, you know, like, what are the opportunities to create efficiency? Uh, and that's great if you have an experienced dispatcher, but, you know, with, with the turnover these days and, and, you know, general labor shortages, um, we want to sort of replicate the mm -hmm. logic behind, you know, that, a, a, that an experienced dispatcher uses, right, to make good decisions. Um, and be able to present that to a less experienced dispatcher so that they can also make the similar, you know, same good decisions. Mm. Yeah, no, I can definitely see there's a massive benefit in that. It's, it's just trying to figure out, because every company is a little bit different. So you want to make right. sure that you could, like, you develop something that, that can be as usable across the board. And you mentioned that's probably one of the key things and when you're designing something on, on how is this going to work as an industry standard rather than how is it going to work for your business. Right, and that's where rules engines, right, really come into play because, um, you know, we may have five customers and they may generally make decisions the same way, but everybody's got a little bit of a tweak. We want to make mm. sure that we can capture those nuances. Yeah. And then you spoke about reporting briefly as well. So 
so one of the things that I think a lot of equipment rental businesses don't do like enough of is they've got this amazing data set <laughs> within their yep. business and and they don't report on their data well enough. They either don't know how to, they don't have access to it, they don't have a data warehouse, they don't know how to use Power BI or Tableau or whatever it is. And they're typically using like um, like stock reports, like just a crystal report or whatever it is yeah. coming out of the system, which is quite an old style, um, where there's so much ways to like analyze data now and make decisions. So so what are you doing in that, that analytics space? So we, we track a lot of data in rental man as a you know full service ERP. Um, we are beginning to leverage that data to make predictive suggestions uh, about the future, right? So looking at year over year demand, right? To to be able to to predict ge- geographical demand, right? To be able to predict what the demand might be this mm. year based on sort of trending data from the past. Mm. You know, right. it would be, be really cool if you could integrate that data to, what's it called, um, chat GPT? <laughs> we are keeping a very close eye on <laughs> chat GPT and what that can do. Uh, because I think, you know, if, if we can find a way, and I, I think we can, um, to apply that effectively, um, that's gonna jump us forward very, very quickly. Um, you know, not just not just the data that we own, right? We can start looking into other data sets like weather or the price of fuel, right? And see how that changes the decisions um, that our applications make and suggest to our end users. Mm. Yeah, anyone that's listening that doesn't know what ChatGPT is, I would highly suggest you Google it and check it out. I won't go into detail what it is, but if you create an account and do a bit of playing, it'll, it'll blow your mind. Yeah. Uh, we could talk for an hour just about that if we wanted to. <laughs> so, cool. So then in terms of um, your roadmap, so it sounds like you're working with your customers and then do you have your own prioritization of what you want to build as well or is it typically always from customers? We we do a few things. Um, so I think first and foremost and, and probably my favorite is our customers just tell us, right? They tell us what their challenges are um, and what they're looking to fix and and. and Sometimes you know there are things that they don't even think that we can fix, and we can surprise them mm. with the solutions we come up with. Or, or you know, obviously tech is always moving forward. I think ChatGPT is going to change us a lot. Problems they didn't think we could fix, or maybe we can't fix today, right? Yeah. Or challenges we can't overcome today, um, doesn't mean that we can't overcome them tomorrow or next year, mm. right? Yeah. So that that that's uh, one of the most common. Our customers just come and tell us. Another way is that we do our own trend analysis. Um, so just to give you an example, one of, uh, one of my product, one of my product managers, um, was looking at, saw, noticed that our construction customers were processing, uh, higher and higher numbers of re-rentals, which means that they're renting from rental companies. Um, and so following that trend and really just kind of crunching the numbers you know, we noticed that that, that spend on re-rentals, right? Renting from, from rental companies has almost quadrupled, right, over the past four years, even pre-pandemic. Mm. Um, and so that, that, that's something that presents an opportunity for us to, to start to understand, okay, well, what is this process? How can we facilitate that process? Yeah, and I think make sure that you're making money on your re-rents as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's a critical thing, <laughs> <Yep>. yeah. <laughs> I, um, 
I've definitely seen companies that aren't tracking their purchase orders accurately and they get invoiced one thing and they invoice their customers a different thing. And so being able to optimize that process is is critical. I yeah. Think, you know, another thing that we do is uh, our customers will often uh, request us to come out and do a consulting gig. Uh, so we'll come out and we'll, um, you know, either they'll walk us through their operations, right? Or we'll just spend a day observing their operations so that we can come back with, the, you know, a bunch of suggestions on how they might optimize, optimize the way that they use the system. Mm. And, um, you know, oftentimes there's some quick wins, right? I, you know, I noticed you're, you're printing way too much. You don't even use the stuff that you print. You know, you can flip this, uh, flip this little flag here and you'll stop printing those, which you're not using. It's mm. just going straight into the garbage or using the scrap paper. Yeah. Um, so there's always those quick wins. But, you know, what I like to do is, uh, like, I like to spot for all of the ways that a rental branch is different from a standard office, there are a lot of ways that they're the same. So I always try to look for the drama, right? Mm. What's the... What's the person who looks like they're being held together by five cups of coffee and like some string and duct tape, um, who's been given the most amount of desk space, uh, who, is a, who seems to be a part of everyone's day, yeah. right? And then start asking questions about what they do. Um, and then see if, you know, what they do, most of the time, they're doing a lot of searching, they're finding things, but they're finding things in our system, right? Which means that we can help them find things in our system um, you know, and take that business logic, take that decision-making logic, mm. replicate it so that we can serve them up with, you know, three to five options, right? And then they can pick the right one. And then from there, we can start to track and record and uh, report on how often were we right? How often did they pick the top option that we thought was the best option? How often they pick something else? How often did they do something that wasn't even on the list and then start to understand why, mm. right? And learn from that and and then try to make that top option the right option more and more often to a point where, you know, we can even start to automate that, right? Where we don't even need someone to then pick it. Mm. Yeah, because like, I guess if you do solve that problem in one branch, it's typically going to be happening in other branches as well. Yep. And if you take the scale of one of these companies that has 400 branches and you multiply the, the cost savings, like that's when it's very easy to start saying, well, if we do it here, we know we're going to save a million dollars this year. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, that, that, that's the benefit of working with these big companies because the cost multiplies. Right. A couple of years ago um, at our user conference in Nashville, uh, our keynote speaker was Dale Asplin, uh, who was at the time and maybe still the CIO of uh, United Rentals. Mm -hmm. And he talked about, you know, taking the information that he gets from wind systems, just from all of the operational data and turning that into a better understanding of the real cost of ownership, right? And, and a true ROI um, to make better informed buying decisions about, you know, what, how do they build their fleet, mm -hmm. right? What are the right things? Something might be more expensive to buy, but over the, the lifespan of the equipment, the ROI will be higher. Mm. The machine breaks down the tech going out to fix it, loss of the rental rates because customers don't want to pay when it's not working, like all those little things that you add up. Right, if you're not the cost of parts, right? Yeah, the, the, the timesheets, the parts, all that sort of stuff. Like you're not tracking all that information. And even if you are tracking that information, if you're not reporting on that information, because um, one thing I think that's really important with reporting and, and dashboards is I don't like when people make dashboards for the sake of making dashboards. Right. Because it's pointless, yeah? Yeah. Like if you're not going to make a decision that's going to change an outcome, 
Right. Like it's just a pretty picture, yeah? Yeah. It looks good. <laughs> yeah, sure, you can have it to make yourself feel better. Yeah. Yourself on the back, but Someone walks in, oh, yeah, that's a great dashboard. Dashboards <laughs> should, should drive action. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's probably a critical thing like uh, in any business, like they, they need to be guided on what they're doing and why they're doing it um, and, and tapping into all that, those data points. So, so let's say that I am a, a business that is looking for a new rental software, whether I'm a 20 user or, or a thousand user. Yep. Um, what recommendation would you have for a company that's like starting this journey? I would, let's see, the first thing I would say is um, with, when you're evaluating a software package, uh, do your due diligence in the gap analysis, right? Have a very strong understanding uh, of what's going to change when you implement the software. And hand in hand to that, right, is having a very strong focus on the challenge you're trying to resolve, right? What are you trying to achieve uh, by changing software packages or taking even just taking one on? Um, and that's going to help inform your decisions, right? Uh, it's going to help um, decide whether or not, you know, it's worth it or what the right package is for you. Mm. Um, and, you know, and just kind of coming back to the gap analysis, I would say, you know, pivoting late in the process is expensive and painful. So the more work you do up front to understand the total change uh, is going to be is going to be worth it in the long run. Mm. Yeah, I, I spoke to uh, one of the people that helped implement uh, Kennard's Hire mm-hmm. uh, with their ERP system. And, and he mentioned that the planning phase for him was the most important. Like you, you, you need to plan out everything that's yeah. going to go right, wrong, whatever it is, and then have a, a plan for the plan <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Uh, because if you if you don't take the business as, along as part of that journey, you're going to run into like bushfires along the way that are going to blow up. And then and now you're in the point where you're making quick decisions Right. on what you want to do next and those quick decisions turn into a modification and a modification and a modification and then I think a year later it's like why do we do that modification you know what I mean it just it becomes this spider web of like uh, what we want rather than having a clear I guess goal yeah exactly and I think you know that alongside that um, having that corporate sponsorship right having that clear message is going to help you manage the change because not, not everyone, not everyone in the organization um, is going to want to change what they do, right? What they've been doing has been working for them for a long time. And maybe they're not feeling the pain of, of your current system. They don't feel uh, or, or recognize the, the different things that are keeping them from or keeping the business from doing what it needs to do. So they're going to be resistant naturally. Um, so, you know, having that corporate sponsorship, having that organizational alignment is, is also going to be key mm-hmm. in any implementation. And then so, so let's say someone uh, selects a, a software vendor uh, in terms of like the team to implement it. Uh, I've seen it before where they just like pluck someone out of operation and say, you're the person who's going to implement this software. And then that person's now doing two jobs there. They're doing yeah. their day job and they're trying to implement this software. Like what, what's your recommendation typically for this sort of thing? Um, I would say that the, probably the most successful implementations, the easiest, the least painful uh, I've seen happens with generally a point person from every department, right? So um, you don't want an operations guy trying to <laughs> implement a financial software. Um, mm-hmm. I think things just go sideways really quickly. 
but if you have somebody from every department who can participate in that gap analysis, in that evaluation, um, you are going to get that organizational alignment much easier uh, than if you have one department trying to dictate to the other departments what they're going to be doing next. Mm. Yeah, and I think being able to make people feel like they're providing input as part of the change is important as well yeah like if you tell someone to do yep. something straight away their their arm is up yeah it's like no i'm protecting my service department and whatnot it's almost uh like you want to say to them look hey look this is what we're thinking about what option do you think works best and then uh let, let them choose and then provide feedback and then involving them along the way so when it comes to the point of implementing they're they've already like seen and, and been involved and they understand they might even meet the, the rental software's team like whatever it is as part of that so when yeah, it comes plan. it's not a band-aid that you're ripping off it's basically right. like you're excited for the change yeah. you know what I mean um, I, it's funny uh, some advice I got early on was the key to management is making everyone think it was their idea okay <laughs> I think if you can do that um, you know you get people excited about the change yeah and then so I guess what are typically the, the key challenges that people face during implementation? Like what are the, the hurdles or the gotchas that people need to think about? Like da I can think of data being a big one. Data conversion is one. Process changes is usually a pretty big one as well. Um, you know, people are used to doing things a certain way and, and, and so just retraining them to do it a, a different way uh, can be one. Usually, you know, I will say the, the ones that tend to be the biggest blockers, the biggest challenges are the things that got missed during during the gap analysis because mm. they just, they're the ones that, that no one's prepared for, right? Um, yeah. I would say uh, visibility, um, being able to find things, right? You're used to searching for things one way, being able to find them maybe another way, um, you know, and people get frustrated really quickly. Mm. Yeah, I think like you touched on like someone has been doing something a certain way for 10 years or however 20 years whatever it is and they're just like they, they feel safe right. in, in that bubble yeah and I think it's it's about explaining to them like what the benefits are going to be but then also I think it's very important to remember that like when you look at something like Win Systems or Rental Man like it's used by like how many customers do you have like how many users do you think you have in, a, in, in the yeah. US uh, tens of thousands Tens of thousands of users are using the system now. Like, why is your business different? Right. What? Why is your business like? Why do you want to be different to what the best practice is? So it's almost about trying to like get them on board with molding to a, to a yeah, certain I'm thing. Not, I'm not sure. Actually, I, I will say, um, you know, individual individuality. I think tends to come into play there. You know, not everybody wants to conform. Um, so I can see that as a challenge, uh, you know, just because everyone else is doing this, um, they may not, you know, want to jump into that. Uh, people are very contrary sometimes. I think it gets expensive, but then, yeah. Like, like if someone wants custom functionality, then it turns into more of a cost discuss discussion. Like what, all right, if we're going to do it differently, yeah. just know that the check's going to be larger. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> And, and that's the case here. It's uh, if you want a vanilla implementation, mm -hmm. then whatever the cost is going to be for that. If you want like a full-blown custom system, mm -hmm. like 
The, it, it costs more to support the product, costs time to build the product, costs time to maintain and test, like all that sort of stuff. So, like, do you, but do you promote that? Do you promote people to want to build custom? Within function? reason, we do, right? And, and because one of the reasons a lot of people come to us uh, is because they, you know, they like the fact that we can do custom modifications for them. Not every uh, software provider uh, allows for that. Mm. Um, so, you know, they'll, we'll get a customer who, who says, we want, you know, vanilla implementation except for this little tweak and this little tweak. And, and we like that generally because it adds value to, to our product. Um, it allows us to serve them better. Um, it, it's when I think a customer comes to us and then they're gonna require very large changes to core workflows in the mm. system that you know the implementation's going to be a little rocky mm. uh, and then that's when maybe you know you need to step back and think like is this is this the right package yeah like what if someone said to you we want to use sap as our financials actually that- we'd be okay with that <laughs> we do <Yeah? laughs> we do integrate to other software that's another um another good thing about rental man is that we do uh integrate and play well with other solutions in the marketplace sap being one of them uh, especially in the back end. And then so I guess what do you see the future like in the equipment rental software space? Like over the next like five, ten years or so, like where do you where do you sort of see the the industry going? I imagine um, automation is, is gonna play a, a larger and larger part in this. We have uh, a bit of we have a labor shortage, right? Everyone's looking to hire more people. Uh, the workforce is a little more transient. Um, people aren't necessarily staying in the same uh, companies as long as they have. So we need to provide functionality that helps our customers meet those challenges, right? Be able to onboard people faster, um, to make people effective faster, uh, come to the right conclusion, make right decisions um, more quickly. Mm. Um, so I think that's going to be a, a big part of it. And that's certainly something that we're working on now. Uh, but I think that really what we want to get to and what we are getting to is predictive analysis, right? So, um, you know, I, I might have mentioned earlier, you know, our goal is to give our customers a competitive advantage, right? And we feel the right way to do that is to guide them to the right decisions now that set them up for success in the future um, and being able to leverage, you know, the data that we have as well as the data that's available to us uh, to guide them get them there mm. yeah i could definitely see the predictive stuff could be very useful in the service department yep absolutely uh, being able to look a few services ahead what do you have in stock what do you need to reorder how does that link in with the service schedules right uh, and, and just give you an idea of you know what we're doing we, so we have um, i mentioned that the service uh, solution that we have uh, earlier that puts together a list of equipment that you know we think needs to be fixed but if we can predict a spike in usage, right? Let's say that you know we're moving into the dry season and we know that water trucks may have a certain utilization now, but we know that that's going to spike in a month, right? We can certainly, you know, we can start moving those up the list so that you don't run into that shortage when that spike happens. Mm, so it's almost like predicting increased utilization and then uh, changing the priority of when things need to be serviced, basically. Exactly that, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's really important just to find those use cases and being able to support it with data, right? Uh, which takes time, unfortunately. It does. <laughs> it's not yeah. like you just because if you make the decision, like you're basically just going off gut feel. Like you need to have evidence-based things. Like maybe ChatGPT comes into the situation to help you <laughs> I'm analyze it. I'm hoping that it will. 
but no, it's interesting. And then um, uh, do you see mobile being like a massive factor uh, continually throughout the industry? Absolutely. Well, I mean, not just a massive factor. It's a must-have, right? Mm. Everything that you do for anybody who steps away from their desk, you have to give them the ability to do that on a phone or on a tablet, um, you know, especially, you know, yard operations, field service, those kinds of things. They just require it now. Yeah. And then what about uh, like a web-based application? Is that something? So rather than using it out of a like a, a, an application itself, being able to just to go to a browser and type in uh, the application and using it from the like a web browser. Is that something you can do at the moment? Yeah, that's something we do uh, do at the moment. Um, both our service module, most pretty much everything is web-based now. Okay. Just about every. I'm trying to think if we have any any um, uh, server client applications, and I don't think we do. Everything's web-based now. Yeah, and then that, that turns into the whole front office, back office thing you were talking about before, basically, so to empower those people to, to do their job and then and provide the people behind the office. Now, it's interesting. Like, obviously, I think Win, Win Systems has a, a pretty amazing uh, place in just the evolution of the equipment rental industry in, in the US in particular. Like, those companies um, that you rattle off, like Sunbelt and United and all those people, like, those companies can't grow without having a backbone of an ERP in their system. Right, yeah, and it's so, proven. And so whether they admit it or not that, that Win has, has helped them grow to what they are become sure. today, I think that uh, it, it wouldn't be possible without having a solid system. So I think uh, it, it definitely has played its place in, in the history of what the rental industry has become uh, to a certain point. So, And I think you, you have a lot of knowledge and experience in, in those implementations over the last 25, 30 years as well. So those businesses that are coming to to win systems that I guess don't know what they want you <laughs> sure. know what I mean like yeah, that's a dangerous position to be in though yeah <laughs> but like they might not understand uh like what's the best pr- uh, best uh, best practice for mobile in service like, like how do you do things and I think being having that, that industry experience and being able to provide as you said consultative advice yep. I think is probably a massive factor as well because if you're going to someone that doesn't understand rental like rent, rent, equipment rental companies hate that and they go to a software company and they have to explain something. Right. Um, having someone to be able to understand is a massive factor. Yeah, consulting is a huge, huge part of our business and, you know, something that, our, you know, our customers value very highly. Um, you know, even if, even if they think things are running great, there's always room for improvement. There's always something that, you know, we can look at and say, well, if you do this little tweak, you know, you'll maybe you'll gain some other efficiency or this challenge, you know, that seems pretty trivial and maybe mm. it's not that big of a deal, but hey, you can make it go away just by flipping this flag over here. Yeah, interesting. All right, well, look, I want to learn a little bit more about Kenny uh, <laughs> sure. outside of wind systems as well. So uh, what advice would you give to uh, someone that's just finishing college or school or whatever it is and they're sort of getting into their career? Like what, what advice would you give to someone? Yeah, I would say... Um, you know, first and foremost, don't be afraid to ask for what you want, right? Uh, if if your company is worthy of you, the worst they can say is no. Uh, and if you have a good boss, they'll give you a path to yes, right? Um, I would say, especially early in your career, don't be afraid to fall forward. Um, you know, we're going to make mistakes, so probably better off making mistakes doing too much than doing too little. Mm. Uh, and I would say if you are specifically getting into the equipment rental industry, uh, don't, 
Don't ever show up at a rental branch wearing black leather shoes because uh, <laughs> 10 minutes later they're going to be gray and, and everybody's going to make fun of you. Uh, definitely. <laughs> it still caps all the way. Yeah, so, I, so those lessons that you said, is that something that you learned the hard way or you adopted yourself? Because you have a, a quite a um, progression of your role and some of the roles you've taken on were yeah. quite challenging. It's not like you were just going into a role and like, oh, I just fit into it. Like you have to spend a lot of time learning as part of it. Yeah, the shoes thing I definitely learned the hard way. <laughs> uh, the other two, um, I wouldn't say I learned the hard way, but I learned too late. It's something that I wish I entered the workforce with that mindset. Yeah. It's all, like, what was... um. Uh, <laughs> who's the guy that owns Virgin? What's his name again? Um, Richard Brand. Yeah, he, he had Richard Branson. He had some crazy quote. It was like, if someone asking you to do something, just say yes and figure out later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like that old acting adage. They ask you if you can ride a horse, you say yes, then go take riding lessons. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think it's important uh, because, yeah, I, I like the analogy of falling forward. I think it's probably a, a good way to describe it. Like you may as well jump in, figure it out along the way rather than to sort of isolate yourself because in what, 10 years later, you'll, you wake up and you're like, wait a second, I'm doing the same job. Yep. How did I, how, how did I end up here? Uh, so you may as well challenge yourself because you might find something else that you like. Yeah, absolutely. I, or not like. Yep. <laughs> and you want to get to that decision faster, right? Sooner than later. You, mm. To that point, you don't want to be stuck in a job you don't like for for a decade. Yeah. And opportunities like always pop up. I feel like like you don't want to be saying yes to everything and, and getting like overused, yep. people taking advantage of you. But you also want to be showing an interest in as much as possible and without leveling out your workload too much, just always be open to helping people and saying yes, because then you get a little bit of an idea on, on what other people are doing. Yeah, absolutely. If you, you, know, you find yourself in an organization where you have room to grow, grow. Right? Yeah. Make yourself indispensable. It's going to open a lot of doors. And then you, you mentioned like ask for a promotion or ask for something. Ask for what you want. Um, you know, it, I, I've been guilty of this myself too, is, you know, you, Sometimes you lose somebody on your team um, because you had no idea that they wanted something more than what they had. Um, you know, it's important, I think, as a manager to check in and to ask that question too. But I, I think for any person, you've got to be your own advocate, mm. right? Let them know what, you know what you want to do, what you want out of this job, um, and you know, start working on a plan to get there. Yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah, having a, a solid relationship where you're – people that report to you don't see you as a boss is probably a critical thing there it's important yeah um and they're not thinking that they're looking over their shoulder every time it's like your a classic example was um when i was 24 i think um i wanted to go overseas i wanted to travel around europe and i remember i went to our ceo and said i want to do it and then he was like no nah, you can't do that like you're gonna have to, like you have to quit. Like you can't just take three months off. And so, I think he thought, like I like I just wouldn't do it. <laughs> you know, I think he sort of uh, thought I was just like bluffing, really. Um, but it, it's like if I didn't like ask the question and he told me, and then I, I probably would just been thinking about it over and over again. How do I ask him? Do I stay this? I would have just quitting. Like I just quit. Went overseas. Did that. Came back to the same job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. It worked out. Like came back to like a different job, but like a same company. Sure. Yeah. And and like in my head, I could have just said, "No, nah, I'm not going to quit because like he's told me I can't do it." Like you, you may as well, as you said, put those things out there and make a decision, and then just run with it. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. Um, 
I think kind of earlier in my career, I'm, I'm definitely the kind of person who makes do with the tools on the table, right? Um, and not really thinking about, you know, changing the situation, changing my, my uh, predicament. Um, probably the first, one of, one of the first really good bosses I had, um, as soon as he, you know, came in, he asked me to make a list of everything you need, right, to do your job well, to succeed, um, that you don't have right now, right? And so, you know, I thought about it and put, put a list together, took it to him, and he said, okay, go get those things, right? And, <laughs> and um, you know, it seems so simple, but, you know, having to break that mindset of, I have what I have, and I have to make do with what I have, uh, was certainly you know a, a big thing for me and my career. Mm. What were some of the things on that list? I'm interested. Um, I think <laughs> it's going to be really boring. I think it was <laughs> source control software. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I th- I, that's a good mindset to have because um, I think what that also does is it makes you sort of feel empowered that you're making a decision on making that change and yeah, only that. Yeah. Yep. Rather than just getting told what to do, because now you're owning that. Like I'm, I'm assuming with your product managers, you can't be telling them constantly what the robot looks like. It's like once you do it, there's a problem here in stock taking. How are we going to solve that? Go yep. off and do it. it it's, it's that's the true way of, of I guess mentoring someone as part of that that journey because they're going to learn, make mistakes and whatnot, and then it's just about picking them up and then guiding them on the next. Yeah, way. for sure. Definitely. So then. Uh, Talking about mentoring, so who do you think has played a big influence in your career so far? This is a dangerous question. <laughs> Does it ever get any of your other guests in trouble? Uh, I don't think so. I think you, uh, a lot of people just mentioned, oh, plus others. It's like, it's like a Grammy speech. Yeah? You, you sort of just go through and... I gotcha. <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, well, Robert Gray, um, our general manager, not so much right now, but uh, years ago we used to work together uh, on the sales team. Uh, and we traveled around a lot together. And I, I wasn't really used to traveling um, at that point in time. Um, he was really instrumental in teaching me how to solve what seemed like insurmountable problems creatively, right? Breaking them down and then solving each piece uh, separately. Um, I think more importantly, you know, when you, when you travel a lot, and I, I, I do travel a lot, I, I, got a, uh, I got a targeted ad for an expense report convention that's how much I travel. Um, mm-hmm. But when you travel a lot, it's really easy uh, to run yourself down, like run yourself ragged, right? Um, Robert taught me how to take care of myself when I travel, right? Slow down, make sure all the important stuff's taken care of, and then get to work. Mm. Uh, probably the, the first product director I worked with, uh, Jeanette Andrews, uh, gave me my first opportunity to get really close to our customers, really close to our users and see what they do. Um, and that's, that's really when uh, the rental industry went from being kind of an academic thing to me to being very practical, very real. Um, you know, not just, uh, you know, knowing what function a user does, right? Um, but really understanding the conditions under which they do it, right? And what's the difference between a, a good yard tech and, and a not good yard tech, mm. right? Um, so that was big, and I would say like probably uh, one more uh, a sales rep we had um, I think she was actually um, the sales director at one point uh, Helen Sowersby really really brilliant person um, went to Cambridge or Oxford did she used to work at Result went to Result yeah Cambridge it's Cambridge yeah yeah and um, taught me how to identify dysfunction <laughs> 
right? You walk into an office, what to look for, why are there big piles of paper, right? Um, you know, or if there's a, a really busy looking filing system, you know, they're, 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 somebody's trying to process a lot of information and they don't have a good system to do that, right? Identifying opportunities uh, to improve processes. Mm. I remember I was out to dinner with Patrick one who also works at Wynn, mm-hmm. and uh, he he said to me, if you ever want to like improve the efficiency of a, of a rental business, just walk in and then ask them where the stacks of paper are. And yep. that could be like step one. Exactly that. <laughs> Why do you use this paper? And how do you get this paper? And what do you do with this paper? And all those sort of steps. And like it's a, it's a pretty... Because people, like, they get stuck in their ways. It's just, like, becomes the norm. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember I was talking to a customer last week. Um, not a customer, just a, a person, sorry. And they were using a mobile app for another rental software. And he said that he didn't trust it. And so he still prints off the transport ticket as part of it every single time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you've you got to figure out, like, why don't you trust it? Mm-hmm. What is it? Are you scared that the phone's going to die or the customer's like not going to work or you, like whatever it is? But like that's not really a winning situation, yeah. No, yeah. And, and you'd really hope that like that rental software knows that because if they don't, this is probably one thing that like if rental software companies don't have that strong relationship, like just because a customer's quiet doesn't mean that they're happy. Right. You, sometimes they're quiet because they just put up with it. You know, kind of, um, that reminds me, early on uh, when we were launching MobileLink, right, our our sort of um, mobile application, a part of that is is yard operations, and we we didn't see the adoption we wanted to right away, and so we started, you know, following up with users, trying to understand, like, well, why aren't you taking pictures, right? And and what they really, they had the mobile application, but they were still going to... um, a board where the contracts were, were posted up, grab the, the paper and walk it out to the yard and, and, and go do what they do. Um, so what we did was we just added, you know, on the on the, the screen, a list of all of the contracts and in what order they need to be staged, right? And at that point, then our customer stopped posting the paper contracts, right? And so the users, instead of this being an extra task that they have to do on top of what they already do, Right, it becomes the thing that tells them what to do next. Mm. Right, and that was what actually was, was very helpful in driving adoption. Yeah, empowering the users rather than like um, just being a burden. Right, just adding an extra task. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah, like making them feel like it's more work yep. to, to do this. I think it's a big factor. Uh, and finally, so uh, when you think about success, like how do you define it? <laughs> so I know that the 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 right answer is uh, happy customers and happy users but honestly it comes right down to having data that proves what we tried we set out to do is what we're actually doing right if um, we create an application uh, that is supposed to reduce downtime for equipment we want to see that it actually reduces downtime for equipment or increases utilization uh, because they're fixing the right things uh, to keep up with their, their order load um, so that's really what it comes down to, having the data to prove that our applications do what we say they do. Mm. And I think it's being able to take constructive criticism from customers when what you think the software is going to do mm-hmm. is different to what the practical experience is and like not getting too wrapped up in, in like your thought on how it was going to work yep. because 
in the end, the customer is always right. Yeah, that they use the product day in day out. There might be some tweaks or whatnot, but it's it's being able to listen and then adopt your data to then support the actual argument. Yeah, it's it's really really easy and really dangerous um, in product development to fall in love with your own product. Mm. Um, you know, to the point where you're not listening to the customers or you're not looking at the data and making an objective assessment as to the success. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see how product managers can fall in love with a product and yeah. then they... Um, Everybody and, loves and, their own ideas. And, and they can also... Um, I feel like there could be... A, if you fall in love too much with your product, there it, it can never be an end date sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like yep. you, you don't know... Like you, you just... You're building forever rather than accepting we need to go live we need to get actual feedback we need to grow the users and then we can if you build forever like what like you, you actually don't know so it's about managing that that life cycle of the product right. a- absolutely yeah and then there's a diminished returns on, on how much value one product can provide a customer right um, you know once you've gotten to a point where I've solved this challenge right you want to make sure that you're you're keeping your eyes and your, your view wide enough to see other challenges that need to be solved. Mm, definitely. Yeah, really good. I really enjoyed this podcast and obviously learning about um, wind systems and yourself. But yeah, thank you for coming on the podcast, thank Kenny. Thank you for having me.